Welcome to the Best Ever You Network, celebrating our third year on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you for helping us become a number one rated live show with over one million global listeners. Our team is on a mission to help you discover your authentic best self and bring it to the world. And now, here's our show. As long as no more snow is brought to the world, that's what I'm asking for right now. Gabe, we need a miracle of snow. Uh, anyway, we've got Gabe Berman with us today. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, or one of them anyway, Elizabeth Hamilton, and we've got our other host on the line, Dr. Walter Jacobson. Dr. Jacobson, how are you doing today? I am doing great, doing great, and I'm really looking forward to talking about miracles because uh, I think we got the real deal here. It's pretty good. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I've got some stories to share with everybody about about Gabe, and I um, oh, he's just phenomenal. We were talking a little bit about how I know Gabe, and I had to think for a moment. I'm like, how do I know Gabe? And I remember, I don't know how long it's been now, years, <laughs> a while, um, his book came across my uh desk for review and it got mailed here and uh, I was actually upstairs in bed my whole entire back was out it was the worst experience I've ever had with my back yet to date as a former gymnast I was you know in tears and and sometimes I, I you know I usually read books and stuff but this one really the title of it live like a fruit fly grabbed me and I sat there and read it I'm like I've got to know this person I think actually from upstairs I'm like emailing going I love your book I love your book and anyway we're we're pals and I, long story short, I don't think I would have a book without Gabe. So um, I'm, I got signed with Hay House, and I remember telling Gabe, Gabe, I like your book so much. I think that's something like I might want to do, but I have no idea how to do this. And I, pa- <laughs> poor Gabe, <laughs> I've given him titles and stupid drawings. And <laughs> I remember one comment, and it's actually in the book, in my book, Percolate. He said, I, I think it's like no self-respecting man is ever going to pick up this book with the, with the title of this as it was previously. I had crayoned a clock with all sorts of stuff. Anyway, it was pathetic. But, yeah. So Gabe's a great friend with a great sense of humor, and we welcome him here today. So Gabe Berman, everybody. Hi, Gabe. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And you're putting a lot of pressure on me by saying that I'm so, you know, funny and everything. But I'll, I'll try. I'll work up to it. <laughs> yeah, go go for it. Yeah, you've You've you have not let us down ever. We had you on the motivation marathon, and you've been on here before, and you've been on the magazine cover. You you're a good sport, <laughs> a very good sport with all the things that we well, ask you to do. But I, I yeah. do appreciate you having me back on. Yeah, it's all, it's always fun. But uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Gabe. I know a lot of you guys already already know him and are fans and all that stuff. But he is the author of the Deepak Chopra endorsed self-help book, Live Like a Fruit Fly. Uh, More recently, though, and I've got some experience with him with this, too, he's gone public with his gift of creating miracles. And uh, he's helped people, including me and their loved ones, including my dad, with health emergencies, economic issues, crisis of faith, feelings of self-worth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He says no problem is too big or too small. And uh, he's got a new website out, doyouneedamiracle.com. What brought that all about, Gabe? The Miracle Site, what brought that about? Yeah. Well, ever since I was a a kid, I just felt like there was something going on in this universe that wasn't right in front of us. Or maybe that was right in front of us and we just really couldn't perceive. 
And when people used to say, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening or this is so horrible, my guts automatically just went to the best case scenario and said, you know, I just know that it's going to be okay. And for like a five-year-old to say that, it just sounds a little weird. So I kind of kept it inside my, my whole life. But then as I got older and people would talk to me about things or if I went through issues and everyone goes through issues, I just knew that it would turn out all right. As ridiculous as it sounded, like my brain did not allow me to see any other outcome. And it, it does get a little annoying with them and says, like, oh, my mom has cancer. I'm like, oh, she'll be fine. What do you mean she'll be fine? Do I have all the, I'm like, yeah, I don't care what any of the doctors say. It's just the way my guts point to the best case scenario for people and for issues and for things. And it, one day, a couple of years ago, I just started putting on Facebook, do you need a miracle? And people started responding. And of course, some of them were jokes or some of them was, who the hell do you think you are, Jesus? And no, I don't think I'm that. It just happens to be the way things work out. And I was able to thankfully help out some people. So finally, I had the guts to go public with it, really public, and make a website about it, just a simple little website. And I put it up there. And so far, we've been able to help some people. If uh, some if somebody like goes on the website and writes in, yeah, I've I've got I've got uh, my mother is, is is has cancer is in the hospital now. How would mm-hmm. you go about like creating, or you know, creating a miracle for her? Well, I, I really I mean, here's the secret that I'm going to just put out right away. I it, I feel like it happens just as soon as they contact me. But I don't really feel good about saying that until I really feel it. I I mean, I feel it as soon as they send me the email or contact me, however they're contacting me. And what happens is I I go through this whole process with them of asking them a million questions about it. And sometimes they end up just needing to talk about themselves, and then we end up talking about their mom after. And we go back and forth and back and forth, and it could be just a couple of days or a couple of weeks And as we're going through emails. And then I get to a point, and I said, okay, this is the, the, the magic miracle moment that I can just tell them with all assurity that it's just going to be okay. And however I word it, it's usually a little bit different. And thankfully, I have no explanation for this. Things just seem to work out. I mean, it's not 100%. And sometimes I say to people, are you willing to receive a miracle that may not look the way you expected? And I never just say, like, hey, I promise you it's all going to be perfect, so just, you know, don't write any wills yet. I, mean, I would never do anything like that, nor do I ever take responsibility for it. I just – this is something that I just unfortunately can't explain, which is not the greatest thing for a radio interview, but it is something that works. And all I can say to people is just don't hesitate and to contact me through my site. Well, Gabe, we're going to spend the hour trying to explain it, okay, because <laughs> it's important. I, I know I've been in situations with you. I, I think a lot of people know that my dad's been ill for a really long time. He's a stroke survivor since 2004, and he has had some bumps along the way. And Is that how far back I this always, goes, 2004? I, I, don't, it, I don't know. No, I don't think it goes back wow. that far. I've known you for a, a while now, though. I mean, it's okay. been five, yeah, a while. Anyway, but my my dad's had some – no, we haven't known each other since then. Um, but my dad's had some – bumps along the road. I said, I've been in Minnesota flying back and said, Gabe, you know, my dad's in the ICU. And you would send me messages like, I, I, I can't even remember them exactly right now. I'd have to go back. I have all of them. Um, but, you know, you'd be like, it's going to be okay. And let me talk to you about miracles and all these things. And I I never knew quite exactly how this would all end up, but I knew you had a special gift also. I remember he was in the ICU, and it was very, like, touch and go at one point. Oh, yeah. 
And you're like, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. I'm like, how do you know that? Really? And it's not even wishful thinking. It's just like this is no. just the way it's going to happen. Do you think that it's, uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you know, okay, you're not Christ, but it sounds like you have some kind of conduit or, or something. When you say, like, as soon as they ask, it's answered, uh, somehow there, is there some kind of healing energy that's, that's going through you? Or do you get that sense that, there's, that there are intuitives and spiritual people who have spiritual healing powers and you just happen to be one of them? I would love to say yes with all surety, but I can't because I just don't know for sure. Uh, when I force myself to think about this, and I don't, I don't try to think about it too much because I feel like if I intellectualize the process, then I might ruin it. And, that's, and then that I say that to a lot of people, too. They, e- they email me and they say, can you just let me know how this works? And I don't, I don't even – sometimes I'm, like, very rough about it. I'm like, we cannot intellectualize it. We can't even spend a second thinking about this because it might ruin it. But – it, it might be that there is some sort of healing thing coming through me and going through wherever it needs to go. And that doesn't mean that I'm sitting here hovering all enlightened all day because I worry and complain and bitch about the snow just like everybody else does. But in these moments when I get an email, I go right into the spot where I sometimes, you know, I can't even hear the music on that's behind me or I need to shut it off just so I can get so detailed. So that's one explanation. Like there, I could... I'm definitely some sort of conduit to whatever's happening, which just even sounds weird to say or e- even egotistical, but I promise that I don't take any credit for this. I'm just, you know, positioned to do my thing. And that's another, another way that I look at this. And maybe kind of like in a Shakespeare play, we're all just playing our roles. And my role is to sit here and have people tell me that things are bad so I can tell them that it's better and which makes it better. And maybe it would have gotten better without it, or maybe it would have, it's depending on me, whatever this energy is, or this play, or however you want to slice it, is depending on me to say, don't worry, it's going to be okay, which makes it okay without any of this mysterious things happening. I'm really not sure which way it goes, but there's definitely something happening because it's happened countless times. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think the other thing, one of the things that I've kind of learned from you also is deeper perspective. Yeah. Deeper perspective like a, in Yeah, like a deeper perspective, like just a, a way to view things. Yeah, and that I get caught up in that often about just living on the surface of everything. Not that there's anything, you know, wrong with that of just saying on the surface, but that is I feel like pretty misleading. And there's that whole uh, the book about biology of belief, how we can really change our DNA and it's completely scientifically proven. And if you just stay on the surface of like being a victim of of which way the wind blows, it's it's um, it can be pretty treacherous that way, life in general. But if you understand that you have some sort, I mean, we have such little control about anything. Like the biggest control we have is giving up control. But with that said, there is something that we can do to alter whatever reality is in front of us. And even if it's some sort of placebo effect, it seems to still work. Would, you know, would you say, I mean, sort of this miracle-mindedness, I think it kind of ties into uh, live like a fruit fly, because that's, that's kind of about being in the now and being free of, like, uh, guilt or expectation or anger or worry. It, is, is that maybe sort of what's miracle-minded also about what you do? Well, there, there definitely is a connection between live like a fruit fly and the miracle mindset. And just for getting the book published, uh, at one point I decided that no matter what, this book is getting out there. 
And it was that mindset that I just knew that it needed to be there for whatever it happens. If even nobody reads it, it has to get into book form. And I just, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to succeed at this. It wasn't like a business successful kind of mindset. It was like the universe needs this to be out there and, I'm go- and there's no way that it's going to not be out there. But that wasn't a decision that I came up with out of nowhere. That was after years of rejection from publishers and agents and, and everybody else. And eventually I just said, okay, that's it. It's getting out there. And basically when I made that decision, it, it got out there. I mean, it started, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. Uh, I flapped the wings of it's going to happen, and then it started happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I got it. Hard here from, oh, go Sorry, no, 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 go. Well, I was going to depart from the miracle piece for just a minute and come to the book for a second because there are a lot of people who listen to authors on the radio with a, with the one question of how do I get my book published. And... Can we go there for a minute? Because yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know the story of how you got that published is, and I know you've picked me up from my bootstraps when I felt like I was going to quit too. Like I can't take the rejection; it's just stacking up. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. But when you get to the yes, it's awesome. But can you explain how you how you did what you did? The rejection is is awful. And I suggest every writer or every artist out there to read Stephen King's book. It's called On Writing and how he talks about his rejection and how awful it was for him and how it was when he finally succeeded. I mean, even if you don't dig Stephen King books, and that's fine, but his writing book is sensational. And it talks about that you know, complete failing all the time or the feeling of failure and then finally making it. But, but Live Like a Fruit Fly happened because I just knew that, I mean, there's a whole story about why I wrote it, but how I got it published was after I wrote a letter to every single um, literary agent who might be looking for a self-help book. And they all, I don't even know if they read my letter. I just got rejection, like form letters. Yeah. And oh. then I said, okay, maybe forget about literary agents. Maybe they're just too stuck up. So I'm going to send my book to every single self-help publisher out there, or not the book, the letter saying, hey, would you please look at my manuscript? And they all rejected me. And who knows if anybody even read my letter. And this is on the tales of me writing for the Miami Herald for eight years, and I thought, like, hey, I'm writing for this big newspaper. Um, you know, everyone's going to want to read my book. But I learned quickly that unless you're already Jesus or Moses or Buddha or somebody, there's, there's, no one wants to know about you. It doesn't matter that you've been writing for a newspaper. Like, no, it seems like you have to be famous to get famous, which yeah. is kind of the catch-22 of the universe. So... I'm like, you know what, maybe I'll branch out. Maybe not only self-help people, maybe people who like um, biographies or comedy books. So I sent it to those people in, in, with a query letter to those guys, and then they rejected me. So then I did the publish, and then I said, you know what, every single person alive is going to get my letter. Like, I don't even care if you're not even in the publishing <laughs> business. If you, if, if you make shoes, I'm going to send you my letter and say, maybe you want to publish my book and make shoes. At the same. Like, everyone. And every single solitary person rejected me. And after crying for a year, I sent it out again to everybody with just, like, I changed the color of my, like, paper a little bit, and maybe they'll, I'll trick trick them. They they all said no. You know, yeah, you try everything. You're like, maybe I'll call them. Maybe I'll visit them. Maybe I'll send them a carrier pigeon or a fruit basket. And, you know, it doesn't matter. They all say no. And I thought, like, I thought the first letter would be like, of course, here's a million-dollar advance, and here's Oprah's phone number. It, you know, it didn't work that way. So I finally said, I found this thing called self-publishing, which I didn't even know existed. And then I thought that was like you, you publish a book, and then you try to sell them out of your trunk. 
and I guess that's the old way of self-publishing. And that's, there are people who, like Celestine Prophecy, got to be a bestseller that way. But, you, you know, I didn't want to sell out of my – what's that? <laughs> what's funny is what you do whether you're published or not. Yeah, so I, I exactly. So I thought, like, you know, I'm not going to sell anything out of my out of my trunk. It's, it's you know, it's too hot in Miami. So I see at least I'm being a little bit funny. I hope somebody else is laughing out there at my misery. I know I am. Sorry, so you can hear So I realize that self-publishing is actually not this brutal, disgusting, lower-tier way of getting published. It actually might be a better way of of getting published because you're in con- complete control. So I put it out there, and it went on Amazon. And once I decided that I'm going to go out there, even if it's self-published, even if I have to get it out, that got me published traditionally because my friend would just happen to be looking at my Amazon page of Live Like a Fruit Fly, of the self-published version, and her friend was over, and, hey, what's Live Like a Fruit Fly? And she explained it, and that friend of my friend was the acquisitions editor for HCI, the company that put out the original Chicken Soup for the series, um, the whole series of 70 million books. So they contacted me the next day, and I had a contract with them within the end of, like, the month. Wow. Incredible. Well, it's tenacity. It's, a, it's, it's really, it's, you could call it luck. Uh, and certainly there was coincidence. I think Jack Canfield talks about, is it really coincidence or is it the law of attraction? You know, people working hard and putting the energy out there and then people sort of are attracted who want to synergize and make it happen, right? Exactly. And it's like, it looks like this, oh, look, he got, a, he got published by HCI right away. It's like calling the Beatles an overnight success because they put out that one song, but the, no one saw the Beatles in Germany, in Hamburg, playing these horrible clubs, like not being able to afford to eat for two years. Right, right. Now, now to get um, Deepak Chopra to endorse your book, did you like sit on his doorstep, or how'd that go? <laughs> how that, that was exactly? one of those uh, c- combined fruit fly miracle things. Um, Alan Combs, who is a um, nationally syndicated talk show host, he was friend. Uh, he found my book on Amazon somehow, and that's a whole other crazy story. And we became friends, and I started writing for him, and uh, I knew that he was friends with Deepak Chopra. And although Alan and I, we were friends and close, I, I didn't want to take advantage of the situation because we weren't like buddies like my college buddies. He was just somebody that I knew out in the world. I knew I needed to get a big endorsement to help me out, to give me some um, truth behind my book, but I didn't want to be a pig about it with him. So I was sitting there every day thinking about what am I going to ask him, what am I going to ask him, like the publishing date's coming up pretty quickly. And then I was listening to his show. He said, Deepak Chopra on tonight. I'm like, oh, my God, I really have to ask him right this second. So I sent him this nervous little email while he's on the air with, with Deepak Chopra and said, hey, I'm sorry. Like, all I did is apologize for, like, 40 pages of my email. And then said, would you – any way you can – by the time I had that email out, I already had one back saying, like, of course I'll give it to him. So to make this very short story less long – he never was that even English. He never got back to me, Deepak Chopra. I would talk right. to his um, his uh, handler every once in a while, and she said, "Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe." And I was extra sugary nice to her just to get it to happen. And Alan told me that he read my book, but I didn't know what was going on. So I finally just said, "Like, screw it. Let's just be a fruit fly, and I'll, I'll risk it all right now." And I said, I, I sent her an email that literally said, stop being a pain in the ass. I know he wants me to endorse it. Don't play with me anymore, and I want, I want it to happen now. And within 10 minutes of getting that 
email she sent me back the Deepak Chopra endorsement. Wait, 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 could you go over that again? You said that fast. You really just got in her face? Yeah, after a month of back and forth of being, oh, thank you, whenever he has time, oh, I appreciate your time, thank you so much. It's like, you know what, I'm not going to let her stream me along anymore. Like, I might ruin this forever and ruin all of my allegiances right now, but I, I said to her in an email, you can't mess with me anymore. I'm too close to publication date. I know, I just said this out of nowhere. I know he wants to endorse me, which, of course, wasn't true. I mean, I, didn't, I mean, maybe he did. He's just so busy. Please get to him right now and ask him for the endorsement right this second. And within 10 minutes, I had it. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. And I was actually in a bookstore in Boca Raton in the back by, like, the record department. And I, like, got down on my knees and, like, crying. And this girl who works there thought, like, I was having a massive heart attack in the back of Barnes & Noble. And she was about to call 911. I'm like, no, 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 let me explain this to you. She's like, eh, who cares? So for, well, so the, the, for everybody the, the, listening... The, the be like a fruit fry angle was was don't be afraid, right? Don't doubt yourself and just go with your intuition and your gut. Exactly, but with it also like it's okay if you're afraid, but it doesn't mean anything. Just keep on going past that. Like you have to sometimes live with this like air of of fearlessness, even if you don't really feel feel fearless. Even if the I mean the fear is going to be there. We're just so conditioned for it to be there, but you just have to sometimes kick that door open anyway and go through it. There's, there's such good lessons here because I, I can remember not not being a published author or anything and getting your book and going, that is so cool that this person endorsed this and this person. And look at all the reviews on Amazon. I can remember thinking, I want to be like that. And for anybody listening who wants to write a book, there, there's lessons here in how to get it done, <laughs> I think. For, it, it's tenacity and asking and courage and and going for it when you might risk a no or might risk a relationship. I mean, I've learned so much from you. What do you what do you think is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to people out there who are thinking, "Oh, I want to write a book. I want to be like Gabe. I want to be like Dr. Walter. I want to be like Elizabeth." You know, we all three have books. What's your advice? Well, I, I was actually sitting in Starbucks yesterday, which, if anyone knows me, was, was not uncommon at all. So I can say every day that I'm sitting at Starbucks, but it just happened yesterday, that someone said, why are you sitting here in the middle of the day? Like, how can you just sit here? I'm like, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm just a writer. It's okay. It's, I'm writing here right now. And Starbucks like, oh, my God, I, the guy said, I want to write a book. I, I told me his whole idea. I'm like, all right, how far into it are you? He's like, oh, what do you mean? I didn't start. Most 99% of the time you tell somebody you're a writer, they say, oh, my God, I have this great idea, but no one starts. And as silly as it sounds, you have to start. That is the biggest piece of advice that I can say. It doesn't matter if you don't think you can write. I I admit right now I'm by far not the greatest writer ever. I mean, I I do what I do well, but I'm definitely not in the, the Salinger or Hemingway League at all. I just can do what I can do. But I just force myself to do it. And, and I swear, when I was, I have to admit this, when I was thinking about being a writer since I was young and then going through high school, I would never write. And I would never write in college. I would, and then I would took these horrible corporate jobs after college because I didn't know what else to do. And all I could do is complain about writing. Because why should I write if there's no chance at all about being published, for, for being published? It's just like, it, it's like trying to make the NFL. It's just not going to happen. But finally, for whatever reason, I just said, you know what, I'm just – actually, my fr- a friend of mine said, if you don't start writing, I can't hear you complain anymore. You're never allowed to speak to me again, and she hung up on me. And that was the point that I just started writing complete gibberish to myself. 
and I would, I would write and I would write and I would write about just about myself, just about like a, a memoir that I knew that no one would ever read. And I did that for two years until I bumped into some girl who I went to college with. And I said, hey, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm a writer. I'm like, I would love to be a writer. She's like, you should send me some of your stuff. So I did because I finally had two years of stuff to write. And I thought like she would hate it because I was just, you know, it was, it was nonsense. And a week later, I got a phone call from the Miami Herald because of her. Usually you would have to go after a big newspaper and say, oh, my God, I'll do anything for you. I'll write about the real estate or whatever. But they called me, and they, it was so out of nowhere, and I was out of some horrible marketing job. And she was like, hey, this is whatever from the Miami Herald. I'm like, yeah, this is a great joke, and I hung up on her. And she called me right back. She's like, Google my name right now. And I said, okay. And I did. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And a week later, I had a page in the Miami Herald. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, you know, I, I know you've written uh, also a book about writing. I want you to mention that in a second. But my thinking, when I tell people about writing, I, I say, look, turn off your that critic that says you can't do it or you don't have it. Uh, and then turn off the critical thinking and just kind of stream of consciousness, throw stuff down on the paper. You can edit it and figure it out later, but just get something down. Is is that also one of the things you talk about in your in your writing book? Uh, pretty close to that. And I just, I, yeah, it, it, that's, exactly, that's it exactly. And I just heard an amazing quote that I wish I can go back in time and throw it into my, uh, into my writing book, is that no statue has ever been built for a critic. I love that because it's so true. And... People, including your family, especially your family and loved ones, will tell you, like, what are you doing, man? There's no chance of you, like, great. Just blow them off and just keep on going. And one way of doing it is complete stream of consciousness and just throw it out there, and then you can definitely go back to edit. And most people, I guess the school of writing is just write and you can go back afterwards. The way I do it is I make sure everything is perfect the first time around. I almost never change anything, like, once it's done. So it can take me... A, you know, a day to write a good paragraph. Huh. But when I first, the truth is, to, to say to you what you just said to me, when I first started writing, I, was, I thought it was all good, but it all kind of sucked. But I was just like, wow, this whole thing is great. But I, when I finally started writing, that's exactly what I did. I just dumped it out there. I mean, it, it was thought out. But um, I think people also get very, you know, you hear people taking writing classes and like, well, outline this and put this in three acts and make sure that this is happening. It's like, how many more obstacles are you going to set up before you start writing? Just turn on your goddamn computer and start typing. Like, that is the only way. Like, look at the, that blank page is the scariest thing in the world. But 100% of the time, and I will but you can put a gun in my mouth, and I will attest to this and lie detector tests and everything else. 100% of the time, it, my work turns out better than I ever could have imagined it to. And I look back at Live Like a Fruit Fly, and I look back at other stuff that I've written in just my blogs. Yes, it could be a little bit tighter here or there, but thank God I wrote it when I wrote it, because I would never be able to do it again, ever. Yeah. No, I completely agree. My, I, one thing I do different than you is I go for the mistakes, and I go for them royally and big time. In fact, in my book, there's a whole chapter that is misspelled just to show that you can write and make mistakes and need an editor, and keep going and do everything. But, I mean, there's one chapter of Hay House, when Hay House got my book, they're like, what is this? And I'm like, can you do me a favor and just leave that? And they're like, no, we can't leave it. It's not edited. And I said, yeah, and make it worse. And so Hay House and, and the other editor involved, Lynn, they, um, they went through and, and even made the typos worse to exaggerate the point that you can write, you can even be a published author and not spell your email perfectly or the chapters perfectly. You know, it, it's their job. 
um, to to edit or um, or your job to go back through it even and edit it once it's done. But you know, writing like you're saying, like from that raw point, just to get started and going and moving in the right direction. Because you're right, I run into so many people. They say, well, how how do you write a book? How'd you do that? I want to write a book. I've got a great idea. And I said, well, let me see a copy of it. Oh, it's not written yet. And and I am along the same point. Ah. I I'm sorry. Along the same point, I almost lost my my Miami Herald column opportunity right from the get-go because I tried to do what I would like, what I thought would be expected to me of me as a real writer. Like here, write this column, and I tried to be a journalist. Like I never, I didn't take any real writing classes in, in college. That's what everyone says. Like, oh, I don't have any writing knowledge or any classes. And you know, thank God you don't because it might inhibit you from really writing from your gut and writing the way you feel because you're so worried about style. I mean, grammar is important and spelling is important, and you can fix all that stuff afterwards, and you really want to get your point across. But the main thing is you want to get to your reader. And that first night when I was writing for the Miami Herald, this test column for them, I really tried to fake it as a journalist, and it completely sucked. I sound like everybody else, but just worse. And they're like, there's no way. So at the last possible second, as like the sun was coming up and this column was due, I, I just wrote the way I normally write, like completely insane, just trying to make somebody laugh, trying to get them like, to feel good. And I wrote a thousand words. I was supposed to write about this piano player who was blind and deaf and a virtuoso out in Miami somewhere. And I wrote about a thousand words of why the air conditioning there was horrible and everybody was overdressed. And I mentioned about, oh, yeah, and this guy is blind. And the, and the Herald exactly. said, you know what, this is this is exactly what we were looking for. And I was like, wow, thank God I fooled you guys. Well, the voice, I, I think that's the other thing, not the show, the voice on TV, but finding your voice in your writing is so critical. Find, you know, that you know that voice, like that talking voice. So, like, I know you and I, Gabe, um, both write, and, and Dr. Walter, you, you know, I know you've got things that you write about, too, Um but I know specifically, Gabe, you write like you're talk like like you're talking to somebody. You write like you talk. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So when you read your book, it's yeah. like you're actually talking. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. That uh, your voice. Uh, it's, I, it sounds like if you write, if you write the way you talk, the way you, you're engaging people, and and that, as you said, engaging the audience is about connecting really mind and spirit. And when you're there, being authentic with your voice, uh, it, it, does, it really doesn't matter what your your message is, is embedded in whatever you say, right? Exactly. And the the best compliment I ever get from people is like, "Oh my God, I could have written your book. It's nothing special." Like that, like that is the wool pulled over your eyes. That you, that it just sounds so easy breezy, but there's so much that goes underneath it, and so much work that goes into it. Yeah, don't you have like a subtitle? Like it's like the secret everybody knows, or something like that. Yeah, the secret you already know, which is here's the secret, everybody, you're gonna die. And, <laughs> and it's a book about living, but you can't really have a book about living. A book about living would be really stupid if you, we lived forever. But we go about thinking that we will, and we of course don't. All you have to do is turn on the news for, for five seconds. But let me, let me just add this. You know, you listen, I mean, I listen to a lot of, like, Hey House Radio or, or, or any blog talk radio, and you hear all these self-help guys, and they all sound so perfectly enlightened, and it's so easy to get caught up in them and, like, be so envious. And I just want to tell your listeners to the billions of people, hopefully, that are listening right now in all planets. Yeah, t- double that billion I, for us. Thanks. How much is it now? A billion and a half? Double, that double I, billion. I, I am not a guy who sits here like problem free and I am stressed and I am worried about things and I get caught up in thoughts just like any normal person. But 
when it comes to knowing that to get my book out, I knew I needed to get it out. When it comes to miracles, I know to be super confident in it. But I'm just like, I'm a regular person. Like anyone can go write a book and somehow make it happen. It may or may not happen, but that doesn't mean like you have to try if you know that you need to try. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've written the book Forgive to Win about forgiveness. And, yeah, I mean, like, I'm an expert, but I'm a novice. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, uh, I, I, I understand a lot of these principles, but for someone to put me on a pedestal is ridiculous. We're all learning. We're all growing, and it's just information to share. And uh, and you put it out there in, in as best and authentic ways you can. But I agree with you. The people who who just make, make like they're perfect is uh, is actually they're diluting their message when they do that. Right, and but they they probably go into it actually thinking that they are. I mean, we all have enlightened moments, but for the most time, we're we're in a body and we're going to deal with issues in a body. And what you were saying about you know you're an expert, but yet you're a novice. The quote that I end my writing book is by Richard Bach, who wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which is a professional writer is an amateur who didn't quit. Yeah, good one. Yeah, I wish I one. I wish I would have wrote written that one, but <laughs> Sorry, I'm not I'm not that smart. With my voice here. Um, Gabe, you have a you have another book out, and we're going to move back to your miracles here in just a second. But you wrote a book to help people with their book, and it's um, I don't have the exact name of it. It's like the complete, totally tested bullshit guide to this and that and another thing. What's the name of it exactly? Uh, we can, we can curse. We can curse on the air. Yeah, we can curse. It's, yeah, uh, you're, you're on Blog Talk Radio. It's like HBO. Okay, the complete bullshit-free and totally tested writing guide: how to make publishers, agents, editors, and readers fall in love with your work. I love it. Well, tell us about it a little bit more. Well, the the book honestly starts off with saying, hey, you're a great, extraordinary person because you're a writer and you're writing from your gut, your gut, but the truth is that nobody gives a shit about you. And I say that over and over and over again. And I actually say, okay, let's just put the book down, take a walk around the block and just digest that because the truth is nobody gives a shit, shit about you, and that is the biggest lesson that you can learn in writing aside from just start writing. Because you pick up any book, and even if they're like very f- popular, best-selling books, these people just go on and on about themselves. And I don't understand how they ever get famous, but that's just the way the system works. And it, I talk about it in my book. Like, unless you're Springsteen and you're talking and you're, oh, I went into the hospital to the waiting room and then I bought a magazine and this was on page. Like, I want to know everything about what Bruce is doing, but who am I? Like, no one cares about me, and I – I need to remember that all the time as I'm writing, even if I'm writing about myself. I only write about myself just so other people can feel what they're feeling about themselves. So I give just as much detail as possible or or minimally just so they can see and feel themselves. So that's basically, I mean, there's many points in the writing book, but the first one is that I put out is that you have to remember that although your family loves you and your friends love you and maybe strangers will love you, you can't just write about it like, you're talking to your diary. You can't just say, oh, and today uh, my mom uh, bought me um, Rice Krispies from Publix. And like, who cares about you or your mom? I'm sure you're great people, but if I'm trading my time to read your words, I want to be so pulled into it that I cannot put the book down. Like I need a magazine article, whatever it is. Like, People send me stuff all the time. Hey, can you read this? And read? Even if it's on CNN.com or something, I can't even read it. It's like, get to the point right away and knock me out and to make me need to trade my time for it. Yeah. Yeah. That was my goal yeah, with my book with you, too. I remember you saying that to me a bunch of times, like, you know, 
get to it right here, and and you helped me along the way with with my book like that too. It's, it's such good advice. Do you still feel even like as a published author, people still could give a crap about who you are? Do you still feel that do way? I think ne- like, do I think now that I'm yeah. published, do you think people care more? Um, yeah. No, I don't. I I feel like you have to you win them over <laughs> every single time. You know, yeah. it's like uh, they say on the internet when if someone drops in on your web page or on a video or, or you know you got to get them in the first like 15 seconds uh, or they're gone. It's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I say that in my writing book. Like you, ha- I judge every single book by its first sentence. I judge, judge everything by its first sentence. Every bit of either news column or anything. Because if you don't pull me on right away, maybe it's like that stupid MTV generation head of mine. But I just, if it's not phenomenal, I can't even, I can't even bother. Like, read the first paragraph which is of, like, Siddhartha. If you read that, you're, you're in. You're done. Like, you are now trading the rest of your life away to read what's happening right this second. And I try to do that with, with everything that I write, even if it's just a blog post. Because if I'm going to put in all this time writing something, I might as well get a reader to really stay there. And people kind of feel like they can, like, warm up and have time to – to pull, to pull people in, I was helping this girl write her this college essay the other day, and it started off so humdrum because she was afraid of making, like, you have to come in with guns blazing. That's the only way yep. to get people across. And if they end up hating you, fine. But the, you also will get people to love you in the same sense. No, that's so interesting. That's become a passion of mine is helping people write college essays for their, for their admissions. I absolutely love it. I have so much fun with the, with the high schoolers helping them write their essays because they they are try they try too hard to like impress somebody that they don't know with all this fancy schmancy stuff and I'm like no you got to write from your heart you got to tell them a story tell them a story yeah. about something about you that's in your field or why you want to go there or something that's happened to you or you know whatever it is but everybody's all trying to be all like a you know like it's a resume type dry right. Like, you're 18 years old. No, you like no, Katy no. Perry. We all we all know. We all know that already. No. Let's, let's, let's yeah, move on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like my son. I helped my son write one, and um, you know he was really stuck, and he he was applying for the meteorology program at Plymouth State, New Hampshire, and um, we I said you know we've always said to him, well since you were a little kid you've had your head in the, head looking up in the sky, whether it be the stars or the moon or the weather or the what, so why not start with something like that. Can he talk in front of a green screen? Yeah, he can. Well, he's halfway there then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, so it's fun. But, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say that, you know, uh, we want to get back to the miracles thing, but just one quick thing about live like a fruit fly. Because I saw this on, on, uh, on, I think, the Amazon page. You have these chapters that are really intriguing, like breadcrumbs and active appreciation and bulletproof vest. And, but the one that I was wondering about, clown school. Hey, Kenya, what is that? Well, Clown School is, uh, thank God I read my book recently, so I know what you're talking about, that I didn't just make it up. And I thought, well, I went to Clown School in 1986, and uh, uh, actually I did not go to Clown School. Not yet, anyway. Clown School is just, was just a silly name of a chapter. It talks about how, and this fits perfectly with what we're talking about. Let's say it's writing a book when, you know, I really want to write a book, but like my uncle is sick, and my kids need to go to Hebrew school tomorrow, and... Uh, my job sucks and my husband is what you know there's all these things that you have to juggle and you're constantly juggling and and 
it said when, when I can put some of these down, then I'll be able to take up writing or take up anything that you've, I don't talk about writing in the book, but it's in Fruitfly, it's anything that you're passionate about that you want to do or accomplish or look at or blend with or whatever. And people are, and it's just nature of, of this planet right now is that you are just so busy with everything and there's just doesn't feel like there's time. So everyone's always like, oh, in the future, when I be in, but that, that, that will never come. Like you'll never there'll always be something else new coming up that you're going to have to juggle. So I just say at the end of the chapter, it's like you're going to have to become a better juggler and, and fit in that one extra thing that you want to do, or maybe somehow put down something else. So that's why it's called clown school. Like you have to become a better juggler because when it's time, I think the chapter ends with when it's time to, when you'll have time to get to what you want to do, you won't even be capable of juggling anymore. It'll just be too late. (laughs) Right. It'd be a miracle if somebody ever taught me to juggle. I don't think it would work. Actual juggling. Um, do you want to go back to miracles? Because I'm really, um, I'm interested in more, hearing more about do you need a miracle dot com, and I think other people are kind of hanging here to hear just a little bit more. Um, I'm curious. Has somebody ever said, Gabe, I need a miracle, and you've said, mm, not feeling it. I, I say about half the time I get I get an email, and first of all, pe- most people ask of, ask for something. It's so nonspecific that I have to basically beat them up to get them to ask for something. And once they get very specific, I just because I'm a person, I get I get a little bit of that fear, like oh my god, there's no way this person's so screwed. Like I don't I don't know, this is way past anything that I can possibly imagine. But I rein that back in, and I remember to just have faith in this whole process that works over and over and over again. So there are times where I want to say, wow, you are completely on your own. And when I do feel that, when I really feel like I have no idea about what's going on here, that just makes me answer more questions. And it usually gets to an answer once I, once we whittle it down and I don't know that. And the person doesn't know that, but it just, the process kind of like whittles itself down. It's like, it's like back to that play analogy. Like you're reading through a play and you get to the end. It's like, Oh, this is where this was going. Do, do you think that, uh, that because people, perhaps people who know you or know your website to kind of see you as a miracle authority that, that maybe when you say it's going to be okay, there's like an, a placebo effect happening. There is definitely a placebo effect happening. But just to go back a little bit, most, uh, barely any of my friends or family have any idea that I'm doing this. Even though I'm completely public about it, they have no clue, and they would think it's completely insane, and that's fine. And I don't even blame them for thinking that it's totally insane. So 99.9% of the time, it's complete strangers from the web or from wherever. So, I'm waiting for your mom to the, call in and go, Gabe, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Like I'm, I'm waiting for that to to happen at every show that my mom's gonna call back in, like, and really like, you. How come you're not in law school by now? You're 42 years old. You should have a family. Like I'm waiting for my grandma to call George in from Weaver's somewhere. George dialing in. The mom. Right. My my dad's gonna come across the uh, the SR and start yelling at me to put down that Muscle and Fitness magazine, read something that means something or something. Um, but you were so, talking about the placebo thing angle. Yeah, there's there's definitely a placebo effect because even even with complete strangers, you tell somebody they're going to be okay, and if they're there's a certain population or percentage of people that are susceptible to that. And I used to only 
I've, one of the reasons that kept me from putting the, the site up for so long is like, this is just the placebo effect. I'm really not doing anything other than telling people that they're going to be okay and then they're going to believe it, kind of like taking a sugar pill. But then what started to happen is that three and four and five generations past the person who's asking for it, they were getting, in quotes, healed or not in quotes healed, like actual healing or cats being found or whatever. An example, like someone would email me, my friend's friend's father's best friend is sick, and this is what's happening, and they would get better too. So there's no way a placebo effect will pass through so many generations of people. So there is partially a a placebo effect, and when I realized that it wasn't just the placebo effect, that's when I got serious about it. That just reminded me of the Ferris Bueller moment. My best friend's boyfriend's sister told me that Ferris is... (laughs) Exactly. Save Ferris. Save Ferris. Um, I've got a question about your dad. We got to go there for sure. a little bit because you just brought him up. Um, did you, did you ever get just like completely pissed that was happening? I I never sensed like you got pissed or angry or anything, sad but not pissed. Um, I was you, pissed from the be- I was pissed from the beginning, throughout the whole process and at the end and every single day. Well, I don't I know, you know you there's are. some things that I'm not, I'm not public about. But yeah, I would never be public about that. But uh, there's some people who put everything out on their whole life in Facebook, and I'm, I'm just not one of those people. But, you know, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know the story, which is probably most people, I was living my life in Florida, and my parents moved down a block away from me just to hang out there. And then a couple weeks later, my dad was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 brain cancer, and we all came back to New York to be at NYU. And after this 11-month horrible suffering challenge, he died. And it sounds so bizarre. It's been a couple of years, but just coming out of my mouth is just, I, I can't even believe it. And that, and really, I mean, I definitely, how can you not be angry? And how can you not question the whole universe? And I did, I did all the time. And, uh, but the, but also, on top, yeah, but the, the truth is, and which ties back to the miracle thing, is I never once not even not even close to thinking that he wasn't going to fully recover. I didn't care that, like, I wouldn't even look at any of the statistics online. Like, my whole family and all the friends, like, completely folded, and they started mourning right from the diagnosis. And I, and I didn't. couldn't. I just, I didn't, and I'm not, I'm, it's not even being positive. I just couldn't see it. I just wouldn't, it's just, it didn't, it's not that I, I would deny it. I, I knew statistics. I'm not, like, stupid. I, I knew which way this goes 90% of the time. I, it just doesn't even compute on that level for me. And I actually wrote and lived like a fruit fly. It's very easy for me to have faith for other people, but I wonder if I would have the faith if I, it's actually in the Bulletproof Vest chapter, that would I have the faith if something horrible happened to me? And I took a, like a dramatic pause in the book, and I said, yes, I would. And then I actually had to deal with that. So it all, maybe it was a weird self-fulfilling prophecy, but I never, ever, ever, ever folded. I knew that he was going to be okay. And as things got worse, I just kept on telling him, it's just, I know it looks horrible, but there, there is light at the end of this tunnel. We just can't see it, but we're, we're going to get there. And this whole process did force me to write a book called um, Where is God When Our Loved Ones Get Sick? And, and where is he? Well, my first thought was God doesn't exist. This is complete bullshit. Like this is just how could any how can anyone let this happen? And then I went back to like the Holocaust and everything else you 
think about that's so awful. But then I, I, wanted, I really needed to force myself to find this out because I really still wanted to believe in some sort of, not like the, the God of like Abraham, not, nothing like that, but like some sort of co- a cosmic consciousness that is tying everything together. Like I needed to somehow figure that out. And I just by sitting, just, I actually was looking at my eye in the mirror. I was like staring into my eye. And I'm like, wow, this, my eye is really just, uh, it's, eyes are just miracles, the way we're all just set up. And I was thinking about that Einstein quote about how you can look at life in two ways, uh, how everything is a miracle and nothing is a miracle. And as soon as I thought of that, I'm like, that is the answer. Either everything is God or nothing is God. And it's still a choice, but it seems like life unfolds more kindly when you look at everything as God. So absolutely everything with no exception. Yeah, and that God isn't really like a, sitting on a throne, being angry and judgmental, and throwing down right. diseases at people. Yeah, or I not. mean, because that that would, or or maybe I, I'm not sure. Like, there's uh-huh. no way to really know that. That could, like, that God, that judgmental God, when all the New Age people say, "Oh, he's not up there on a throne," I mean, maybe he is, but he's also <laughs> connected to everything. Like, we really, I have no idea. All I know is, like, if I'm gonna, if I, I'm personally gonna believe in some kind of God, it is like this refrigerator that I'm looking at right now, and this telephone, and you, and this space between us, and the illusion of all the space. That's the way I'm gonna look at it. It's the only way for me to not be so pissed off that I'm going to blow up NYU for not doing everything that I feel like they should have, you know, or, you know, or creating a time machine to somehow figure this out. Like, I'm just okay. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Did you, this is going to be a tough one, but when, when everything was sitting there, everything was happening with your dad, did you reach out to somebody else and hope for miracles and, Pray and, no, and, and, no, well, I don't. I don't. You, no. I, I don't. I don't, I don't feel like, being like that. Uh, I don't. Well, I'm not a reacher outer at all. And I, oh. I, you know, if I, I might say, hey, can you read this? Tell me if it's good. But when it gets to that level, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm more evolved or better than anyone. But I just like the buck stops here, with that, and I just needed to dial down for myself, and that's where I kind of abided in, of that abiding in, I just know that it's going to be okay. And, of course, I was crying, you know, throughout the whole thing, and this is, this is awful, because my dad was, like, on the bottom floor of NYU Medical Center is the radiation department, and everyone has cancer down there, and everyone's waiting for their turn for radiation, and everyone's suffering. But my dad was the guy that everybody looked at and said, thank God I am not him, because he was the worst of the worst. And it was just beyond an awful experience and I've asked myself like how can you make or be part of such miracles for everybody else but it didn't work out that way for you and it's my only answer is it's a couple of answers one I'm too close to the subject so it's kind of emotionally involved maybe that's one of it one of the answers two some, we're not going to live forever and this is just the way the universe had to unfold and three, there actually was a miracle that the cancer center of NYU and the hospital is in two separate parts, a couple of blocks away in, in New York City. And we were at the, just recovering at some recovery room at the hospital part. And his 80-year-old doctor walked across town to come over to us. He's like, I just saw an MRI. And you, is, he used the word miraculously has shrunken down to almost nothing, the tumor in your head. And we, I needed to come here and tell you personally because I thought it was too amazing to call you and tell you about it. I needed to be face-to-face with you. And I, everyone was like, oh, my God, and everyone's crying. And I was like, of course it shrunk. 
of course it's gone. Like, this is the way it's going to unfold. This is what I've been saying. But, you know, it came back, and that's the end of the story. But you're, but you're right. Uh, you know, things do happen. People do have to leave this moral coil at some point, and, and they have another path to follow from that then on. Um, but, you know, you, you, the stuff you said reminds me, I don't know if you're familiar with it or into it, but uh, A Course in Miracles talks about seeing God in everything, in the chair, in the telephone, uh, yeah, and certainly in every human being. And it also talks about when don't look at the illness when you see somebody see the spirit or, or see love and don't see the disease don't see the test tu- the tubes and the, and the uh, ivs and stuff Try just see love uh, I, have you come across that idea yeah i'm pretty familiar with the course of miracles and i, I definitely dig it and I, that is something that has come out of me writing from that book is i i fail miserably at this but i try to just really check out people's essence because my dad's from Brooklyn, he was full of rage, I'm his son, I could be full of rage, and it just passed on genetically. And if I didn't remind myself to like really just look at the essence of people, I would definitely be in jail for manslaughter about 400 times over. Like, you <laughs> cut me in line at Starbucks, I'm going to kill you. But like, I remember, like, it's not this person's fault, forgive them, they're in a rush. It's like that quote, you don't, you know, be kind because everyone is suffering on some level. It's like, you know, put your hands in your pocket, don't choke this person, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah, I would have like 20 uh, life sentences in a row by now. Yeah. yeah, I've not seen that in you yet, but yeah, you eh, maybe, but now. Um, I was going to ask a little bit more. I was going to keep going with your dad just for just a little bit here. Sure. Um, because, you know, I, I wanted to share with you about my dad. I, you know, I think we all do that when, you know, we learn through sharing each other's stories and, and, and so forth. And I remember my dad being extraordinarily pissed off, angry, frustrated, and everything, and very sad about what, who the heck, he, what he ever did in the world that he deserved to have this happen to him. He had, he had that feeling. He didn't lose faith, but he just was like, what have I done to deserve blindness now? And all these things he's had. And he quickly turned it around for himself. He's, he's survived and so forth, and he's quickly turned it into great amounts of gratitude and all of these this will this extraordinary will to live and seeing my younger brothers and sisters get married and have children we've got like 18 or 19 grandkids now all these things have kind of kept him in motion did when your dad was first diagnosed with um everything that he was diagnosed with did did he have that at all like no zero all he wanted to all he wanted to make sure is that none of us suffered through it like he wasn't scared. He he just knew right away I lived a good life and I'm ready. Like so another reason, and I'm happy you brought this up, is why the miracle didn't automatically work is because he completely said, okay, I'm ready. Like whatever has to happen has to happen. And he went from the most aggressive control freak in the universe to a Buddhist to like a Buddha. He just completely changed because he had no choice. And I couldn't believe how well he was doing with it, and how because it was it was beyond awful. And he was never angry. He never um, he never was really scared. He was just he was just he just rolled with it. And I cannot believe that he did. There's no way in hell I would have done it. There's no way in hell I would have been able to do what he did just to roll with it the way he did. Would you have, would you have fought back more? Did he fight? Did he fight for his life, or did he, did he, was he just like, whatever um, happens? Is that what you're trying to say? He fought for his life because I forced him to. 
I was I was like a Nazi dictator making him try to do whatever he can do and not give up because I knew that he would do the same thing for me. But he was never pissed. It was really wild. He was never just like angry or pissed off. And he had the, the quickest anger in the universe, like uh, the tr- trigger happy beyond. And just that he wasn't like that this way. And I was very surprised. You know, I just want to bring up something about your miracle site so people really understand something, and that is you don't charge for this. You, there's no, there's no yeah. money here. To tell us about and that. And that was another thing that was keeping me from doing it. I didn't know what to do because I have people who are in the healing industry and or like coaching or self-help, and, and they said, like, hey, we charge, you charge, doctors charge, uh, chiropractors charge, uh, auto mechanics charge, you charge for what you do. But I just, and I knew that that's not wrong or right. I just didn't know what to do about it. So I just finally said, I'm not thinking about it anymore. And I put up the site and I just said, if you'd like to donate, then donate. But if you, if you don't want to, then that's fine too. It's, it's all going to work out the way it's going to have to work out. And I really go in there trying to talk to everybody equally if they donated or not donated. And I'm hopefully pretty successful at that. And it's wild. I've gotten, I've gotten emails about like, yeah, of course I'm sick or I need money or whatever, but I've, the nuttiest email I got from somebody, which I thought was like one of those like phishing scams online was some woman who was stuck in Mexico because of like this abusive husband and she just could not get out. And the state department in the U S was not helping her. And so this is one of those occasions like, yeah, I checked it out. Everything was kosher. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I really, I didn't even answer her for like a day or two, which is unlike me. Like as soon as I see something, I just put down everything and I just answer. But I finally, we went back and forth and I just sucked it up. And I said, just keep on going through the same way of how you handle everyone. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. And after a couple of weeks of typing back and forth, I said, okay, it's going to be a miracle. And then a couple of days later, she emailed me back. I don't know if you have anything to do with this. But the Department of, like, Natural Citizenship of the United was something, some long title she sent me. I think it even was from uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, contacted her and said, we are behind you now, and we're going to be there with you for this trial. And that's the last I heard, that things were flowing better. So it just worked. Fantastic. All minds are joined. Somehow you 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 send some energy to the right place. Do you think... Maybe this is out there a little bit, but do you think you might be like an angel or something like that? Well, I do have the perfect name for it, so it's possible. That's why I always say, like, Gabriel. But my automatic gut reaction was that if I am, then we all are. So. I wasn't sure if you were like, no. You don't, so you do or don't? It's, I... What's your stance on angels? we got to ask it because, you know, people people love angels and the number four i have i have no stance on it whatsoever i talked to a medium once and she was so convinced that there are angels of of different rankings and it sounds very plausible but until i you know i see it in writing from like the divine (laughs) i'm I'm not going to know for sure i i I don't let myself believe in anything that i don't know for sure curious so it's, it's definitely it's it's just as you know it's just as possible as me standing here talking to you because it's all it's all consciousness it's all energy so who knows it's de- definitely possible I mean this whole thing is one big fat illusion like we're basically having a conversation with ourselves right now because we're all kind of connected <laughs> right it's good like that though isn't it it's entertaining at least there's a on, I'm gonna ask one more question here on your um on your do you need a miracle dot com site there is there are testimonials. 
and um, I have to write mine still, I know. But um, you've got some powerful stories in here about people with cancer and having clear MRIs now after you've been in touch with them and uh, you know all sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about the testimonials and some of the stories of people that you've helped? Is there a favorite one here or... Well, the the biggest thing that I have to say, the most important thing I have to say about them, if I went to this, if I was listening to the show and I went to my website and I read them, I wouldn't believe any of them because they're just too. I don't believe. I look at them like I cannot believe that this is real, but it's real. And these, all of them have happened, and some of them people that I knew, and some of them are people that I didn't know that became friends. It's just, and it was all people that were just writing from their heart, and and, and it actually happened. And just one that's jumping out at me right now is I, I knew somebody who was supposed to go on this big business trip to Singapore, and their whole family's life was depending on it, and then she got this insane ear infection, and she was not cleared to fly. And I just happened to be looking at Facebook, and she was just venting out to the world about it. And I just emailed her. I'm like, eh, you're going to be fine. You know, don't sweat it. And I, I said it a little bit more officially than that. But it's never, you know, it's, it's, it's on the lines of casual and uh, official. And she emailed me from Singapore 24 hours later saying, I don't know what the hell happened, but I made it through. And now I have to deal with it now that I got to Singapore. But... I, I cleared up just I had this like little window that opened up and she went and she was so grateful that she wrote a little testimonial. Yeah. Well, the last time my dad was sick, I went home and I said, I need, I, I remember calling you saying, I need you with me this whole time. This is going to be brutal. And you were there the whole entire time. And, you, and uh, I mean, anytime I needed you, you were there and, um, with, you know, he's going to be okay. It's, the, you know, it's this, it's that, it's going this way, it's going that way. And I remember just, just be feeling almost like you might not survive had you not been there. It was so strong of a connection that he was going to be okay. It was just really strange. I've never even told my family about that. <laughs> They're like, now my mom's going to call in, Gabe. <laughs> what? It's kind of like it's kind of like that Jesus thing. Like if you know if you can't believe in, you know, just believe through me. And maybe that's just one of those things that was working. Not that I'm on any level on the Jesus level, but no. maybe that was happening. Well, I, I think that, you know, it, it might be that the Christ consciousness uh, of love and forgiveness and acceptance are, are in each of us, and maybe that's really what he meant when me, not necessarily him as a as a person, but him as exactly. a force of love. That's, that's, that's an excellent point. And when someone is talking to me about this miracle, I am in that Christ consciousness. Like, that's, that's the only place that I can be. And even when I find myself drifting into some sort of fear or I can hear something in the background... Uh, there is something behind all of it. It's like, this is okay. It's all just part of it. But just, you know, stay here. Stay here now. Like, be here now, Ram Dass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. i got I to gotta go, Gabe. I'm sorry. I've got to Oh, yeah. I what time see. is it? I, I Thank you so much. You're a powerful, uplifting force. we hour? i got, I got to go. Huh? See you later. Okay. Yeah. All right. Take care. I'm sorry, Gabe. Have we gone a full I w- I wasn't even paying attention to time. Have we gone a full uh, hour? Yes. You have I gone an hour. Have. Yeah, gone an hour. Okay, well, we'll get you off the phone. And the Guinness Book of World Records is going to contact him for the most abrupt leave, leaving of a radio show in the history of leaving radio <laughs> shows. That was well, remarkable. He is a, yeah, he's a doctor, and he has patience, so he probably just realized what time it was, and he's late for somebody. But um, before we go, sorry about that. Everybody, that was Dr. Walter Jacobson who just had to leave. Um, Gabe, what's ohmygabe.com? Uh, my blog, where I just write just to write to, to get 
just my thoughts out there into the universe is uh, it's like oh my Gabe I mean oh my God OMG it's O M G A B E so it's like oh my Gabe and that's just my blog so anyone can just check it out. I love it. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that we didn't bring up? I think we've got. Well, I just feel like anyone can contact me at 24 hours a day for forever, and they can go find me on Facebook, Gabe Berman, or on Twitter, Gabe Berman, or doyouneedamiracle.com, or they can go to look up my books on Amazon, which is Live Like a Fruit Fly, which is the one that everyone should read. I mean, I really think it should be required reading in high school. We'd all be a lot kinder to each other and to ourselves and within less than a generation. But I think we, uh, I think we covered it all. Just um, whoever's listening, feel free to contact me about anything. Yeah, I and my email is gaberman at gmail.com. Gaberman at gmail.com. And, yeah, I've yep. said that about your book, too, from the get-go, that I think it should be required reading, too. So I wonder how – how do you think that let's, – let's go there for a minute. If that were a goal of yours, how do you, how do you think that actually happens? I have – I have – if I, I knew, it would already be needed. there. I know. Because yeah. I, I always think that with Percolate, too, with some of the values and things like that, maybe not high school, but maybe, like, college level. I know mine's gone into um, – a couple colleges at this point, but I didn't do anything to make that happen, and I wish for it to go for more, but I wonder what actual action you have to take for for things like that to happen. It's kind of well, interesting. as soon as Maybe I figure it out, I'll let us. you know. Put our books together or something. Um, all right, well, lots of love, and thank you for being here. Uh, thank no, you, thank everybody you so much for having me on. The, yeah, and uh, thank you for everybody in the chat room. Um, again, Gabe's on Twitter, Gabe Berman, and he's also on Facebook. His book is Live Like a Fruit Fly. And um, his website is, is uh, the, the one we're talking about here is doyouneedamiracle.com. So thank you, Gabe, for being here. And, um, you know, do go. This is a little bit not a health miracle thing, Gabe, but we need the snow to melt. We've got a lot of baseball oh. to play <laughs> and, and a lot of roofs to stay up instead of collapsing and all of these things. So we need no snow. So if you can be on that for us, yeah, no. Like everything else, all in due time. I know. (laughs) Spring. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you very much for listening, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.